The Major Spoilers Podcast is sponsored by Urban Collector, your source for pop culture statues, busts, action figures, and replicas. Urban Collector is the exclusive distributor of the Battlestar Galactica Starbuck mini bust. Visit them on the web at urban-collector.com. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, JMS MIA from the MU reworking MLJ for DC. Cavemen fight, fire bad. The super pets without Beppo? Also, hot chicks in the naked city. Is it Witchblade or is it Memorex? And the greatest sorcerer supreme in recorded history takes his rightful mantle on the A-list. Let's see how long that lasts. Oras fantásticos, la única oportunidad en su vida, la fresca rosarios llantas realidades. Call toll-free 555-3121. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to a new exciting issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. This week, we will be talking about the first uh, first half, I guess, of Grant Morrison's new X-Men run that's coming up. About the first third. Third? Okay. All right. This is like 20 issues, give or take? Yeah. Uh, We'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show, or if you don't want to hear the rest of our guff, you can jump ahead right now. Uh, For the rest of you, though, we've got news and reviews, and a little bit more coming up just around the corner this week. This week, I thought I'd try something a little different. Uh, You know, we have been rolling or spinning the wheel of morality each week and picking from one of three or four uh, news items that have been up on the Majorspoilers.com website. This week, I thought I'd allow the the readers and the listeners to decide what story they wanted us to talk about the most. See, the the reality is Stephen lost his foresighted die. Yeah, he did, actually. Uh, So the topics this week, television rumors and tidbits. There's a lot of things going on there. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski exiting Thor, Wolverine, the end, or I think the fourth item was uh, Lucasfilm and G4 TV uh, broadcasting live from the San Diego Comic-Con. We let you pick, and you decided you wanted us to talk about J. Michael Straczynski exiting Thor, and this happens in September with uh, Defining Moments Giant Size number 1. So I guess, and again, people who have been with this show since the beginning, mm-hmm. and I think this probably was episode four or five, something like that. It might have been two. It was pretty early on. Okay. Uh, uh, Brian was not there that week, mm-hmm. and Rodrigo and I sat down and, and reviewed the first five or six issues of J. Michael Straczynski's Thor. Mm-hmm. And people who have been with this show or with the site for any number of time know that I am not a big Marvel fan. I'm reluctant to read a lot of Marvel stuff because of the, you know... Because of your, uh, because there's a problem with your soul. As yeah, I that's that's it. it. Yeah, but I sat down and read <laughs> Thor, and I was like, man, this is a great story. Mm-hmm. And Straczynski was writing an excellent story, and I really, really liked it. And had Marvel not taken away our our preview copies, and had I not decided to mark off the Thors on the uh, the uh, previews, I would have mm-hmm. continued reading it because I thought it was a really, really good run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he's off, and he said that it's not. 
a create it's not anything that he has an argument with anyone in the company mm-hmm. so before a certain listener or a certain reader <laughs> of the uh of the website starts blaming Joe Casada for everything according to Straczynski there's no bad blood mm-hmm. Straczynski did say however that he was not interested in taking his Thor title and mixing it in to an upcoming arc which I don't have that title here but it was something they actually he he was very cagey about the name of the event he just kept calling it the event uh let me find it really quick because I think there was a little bit further explanation on that and may have given a hint as to what that arc was. Um, but you guys, what are your thoughts now that uh, Straczynski is, is leaving Thor? Well, he he really reinvigorated Thor, which much like um, like how um, Annihilation reinvigorated all the space characters. Like People were like, no, there's no point to Thor. Thor shows up when all the Avengers... When like all the old school Avengers show up, but there's no point. But who cares about Thor? And he made Thor really interesting, and really in 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 what appears to be kind of a pattern, he made it in in in, in an interesting and intelligent way, so that Thor wasn't involved with Civil War and Planet Hulk, right, right, and all that stuff. And so here, okay, so now I found the bit of information. You're right, Matthew. He is kind of cagey, but he did say that he didn't want Thor to be influenced negatively by the, quote, Siege of Asgard big crossover event, which obviously means they're going to try to take Dark Reign mm-hmm. and have Osborn and everybody attack Asgard. Attack Asgard. Well, so that Chick Loki, Loki can take over. Loki is part of the Cabal. Right, right. The Illuminati. <laughs> the naughty part. Um, so, yeah, so that's, I can understand that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are upset about this. Matthew, what are your thoughts before we get to some reader reaction? Well, I have to say first that I haven't regularly been reading Straczynski's Thor. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that from what I can tell of it, it actually has taken Thor and given us a conceptualization of Thor as more than Superman with a hammer. Mm-hmm. That I, I, mean, I haven't seen this kind of excitement about the character since Simonson left the book. And that's, what, 20 years ago now? 15, 18, something like that? Okay. No, definitely. I mean, and it, it it's it's funny how, you know, by, by writing him as a god, he introduced a real human aspect to uh, to Thor. Oh, yeah. This was Thor not as a superhero. This was Thor as a king. What can I do to save my people? What can I do to get my people a place to live? Essentially, you know, he's, he's that very, you know, he's a hero in the old school sense of the word. He's... Moses, he's Hercules, he is those guys. Mm-hmm. And when the Marvel Universe is like, yeah, come here, we're superheroes, Thor just hits him really hard with a hammer. <laughs> Get out of my house, Iron Man. Right. Thor rules here. Right. Which now, was great. Um, some people were upset that he didn't get to finish or he hadn't finished his big uh, 12 uh, storyline that was going on. It will be wrapped up with this Thor defining moments, giant size number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is something that they will uh, take care of. Some people, and I don't know if they're being dicks about it. Mm-hmm. Probably dicks. Uh, Probably but the, dicks. But the, but the person says, uh, I can't believe that Marvel is canceling Thor. They're not canceling Thor. No. They're just getting another writer to come on because Straczynski has left. Now that, yeah. now that person may feel like he feels about other writers that once that writer leaves the book, the uh, book is essentially dead to him. Mm-hmm. And that may be the case here. Is that going to be the case? Well, for me, it kind of is. 
because somebody and somebody could potentially come in and write continue that same vein and write something fantastic but the reason why Straczynski is leaving is because he wants to not write a crossover right so clearly he said either the crossover doesn't happen or I walk and you know he might have said it in polite terms and Mm -hmm. you know the editor-in-chief was like okay well we're still doing this crossover and he's like all right well then i'm leaving Mm -hmm. the next person that comes in even if he's the most magnificent writer of in the universe maybe they'll get grant morrison he might but he's still going to have to write that crossover yeah and just because it's a crossover i don't want to read it yeah i i think one of the one of the things that Shut up. <laughs> One of the draws of this Thor series is the way it has been somewhat self-contained yeah. in a time where everything is tied into everything. Where, you know, you can't so much as, you know, you can't read Avengers anymore. There are six Avengers titles, and, you know, none of the characters actually interact with other characters. There's New Avengers and Mighty Avengers and Dark Avengers and Avengers the Initiative and... It's just such a uh, it's a it's just this huge cluster schmaz to actually sit down and read a book, whereas Thor has been a, a through line about a character reestablishing his kingdom, a prince kind of taking up you know his father's kingly crown and the things that happen and his treacherous brother slash sister and now it's being kind of brought back into the mainstream Marvel universe and it's all probably going to be. Yeah, it's acts of vengeance all over again. Thor versus Graviton. Well, why do I care unless I love Graviton? Yeah, for I, I think for me, again, I'm not I'm not the big crossover guy. Mm-hmm. I resent I resent having to read Secret Invasion. Oh yeah, so do but I. if I didn't read Secret Invasion, the Marvel Universe would not have made sense for me for eight months. Mm-hmm. I, I guess but, so. For, for a lot of people, I think they're going to be upset that the, maybe their favorite writer is gone. Maybe mm-hmm. somebody else better will come along. Who knows? What I do know is that people who are fans of Straczynski have been fans for him for a long time, all the way back to Babylon 5, where he wrote 99.9% of that series yeah. and really made it a contained story. Just like, um, who was it that did uh, Starman Robinson? You know, just like what he did with Starman, how that is such a fantastic story, or Brian K. Vaughn with uh, Why the Last Man, how mm-hmm. it's a contained story. It does its own thing. I think that's what people were hoping. And really, they did get with this Thor title. I think there's a strong contingent of people who want that, who want that, you know, anywhere from one to three trade self-contained arc where they can go, this is Thor to me. This is Why the Last Man. This is Starman to me. This is Ex Machina. This this is what Mitchell 100 is about. You know that? Right. You want that because when you have 27 writers cycling through a book, Mm -hmm. you know, there are 15 different you know, for all intents and purposes, there are 15 different Superman, 15 different Thors, 15 different Hank Pims. I mean, he has 15 different names. <laughs> yeah. right. Is it Yellow Jacket or is it Giant Man? Is right. it Ant-Man? Or is, or is it the, the Wasp? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and, and I think, Matthew, you were trying to bag on me, uh, what, a couple weeks ago whenever I said that uh, uh, <laughs> Batman or Detective Comics was not being written by Paul Denny. And you said, well, Paul Denny doesn't have to write it. That's right. I, you know, well, I'm, no, you I'm seem hoping... to, you said, you, you came out and said, I'm surprised at the quality of this book because it doesn't have Paul Denny anymore. No, I I'm didn't like, say well, that. I said people who are thinking that are going to be uh, changed. And I said, well, I you was need pleasantly to work on surprised. Your, the, your word usements, you which to, you have you structuring to, because you you're not communicating a clear <laughs> But the thing is, the thing is, 
I'm more than willing to try out a different writer. I'm more mm. than willing to to let um, what's his name write the current Batman. Uh, you know, and it, it doesn't bother me. I'll read it, and if I like it, great. If I don't, well, I know that in six to twelve issues, they're going to announce a new writer on board a series. I was I was recently informed that uh, New X Men, which I read years ago, was written by Grant Morrison. I wasn't even aware of it. So, you know, again, that's another thing. It's like, hmm, this Thor thing, this is awesome. It's like, right. uh, you know, it was written by uh, J. Michael Straczynski. It's like, uh, the guy who used to be on Spider-Man? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody, you can uh, voice your concerns, opinions, whatnot, over at the Majorspoilers.com website. And if you'd like to contact us via email, we do have some of that as well. Uh, you can contact us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And, Rodrigo, we do have to dive into that mailbag to infuriate Matthew again this week. You don't want to do that. Matthew's <laughs> fury is not to be trifled Matthew's with. A little, Matthew's a little uh, grumpy this week, so everybody's going to get a good dose of Matthew, I you, think. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't like Matthew when he's hungry. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh... Hey, guys. Size 14 shoe. Yeah. Rodrigo's rectum. Yep, it's Put coming, the two together. It's, it's coming at me. I want you to memorize this because the doctor's going to want to know how it got in your colon. <laughs> hey, guys. Big fan of your podcast. They're always thought-provoking and are, nice, and are a nice distraction when I take the family dog out on her nightly walk. <laughs> Apparently, the, walk, the dog needs to walk for eight miles. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's not actually in there. I thought I would share some comic-related observations slash thoughts. A few weeks back, you mentioned your confusion as to the appeal slash need for the Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers miniseries. Ah, yes. What's not to love about a series in which the various superhero pets go off on a quest spanning the Marvel Universe for the Infinity Gems? Maybe it's just me, but I, found lo I find Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers much more appealing than a miniseries spotlighting the origin of Barry Allen's bow tie. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm sure the sales figures will reflect it is probably just me. I did not go back and look at last month's uh, numbers. In fact, I didn't put them up on the site. I should have. Uh, Matthew, how did Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers sell at the uh, Gatekeeper Comics and uh, Hobbies Huntoon Engage Topeka, Kansas? Um, Stop I in and ask we... them about their back issues of Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers. <laughs> I think they ordered three. Oh, okay. Um, of those three, so they sold I think... out. <laughs> well, well, let's in. put it this way: Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers sells out <laughs> at the distributor level. Yeah, because only three I haven't, were ordered. Uh, I haven't put any in the back issue bins, which means that we probably ordered to order. Okay. Or ordered to the spec, so much in fun did, of did you read it? Read what? Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers. You read it? Yeah. Okay. No. No. Um. Uh, no. Okay, all right. The email continues. What? Yes, it does. Actually, it's a very long email, and I truncated to pull out some interesting talking. Truncated, things. truncated, truncated, truncated. <laughs> truncator? I hardly know her. I really wish I could find a Batman magazine at Walmart, like I can find the Spider-Man, Wolverine, and Wolverine and the X-Men magazines. I wish I could... Don't you can't you get like Wolverine and Tiger Beat now? Um, I wish He's all I over the cover of People yeah. this week. I wish I could find an anthology of mid-range DC comic titles at the grocery store, like I can find the Marvel Your Universe anthology containing Nova, Ms. Marvel, X Men Legacy, Iron Fist, and Ghost Rider. I really wish I could find Johnny Johnny DC Digest at the book fair at my daughter's school, like I can find the Marvel Adventures Digest. Greg A. All right. First of all, stop shopping at Walmart. God dang it. Nah. Walmart is is terrible. Uh, that's just my personal peeve, and yes, I do shop at Walmart because 
I have to. I don't want to drive an hour and a half to go to Target. Well, you live in... Nowheresville. What's, what's an interesting way to say BFE? Bumfuck Egypt. Okay. It's, you know, Hayes, Kansas... Yay, Hayes, we have our adult tag. Yay, we are adults. Hayes, Kansas, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from here. Yeah. How's that? Is that better? That's right. A virtual Disneyland for shut-ins. Um, <laughs> hey, All-America City 1996 or something, all right? <laughs> 96 hey, and 98. Almost 12 Pow. years. My wife only begged me to move for nine of those years. So, <laughs> so do you guys, do you think this is going to, I was surprised. I don't go into the magazine section at Walmart, uh, well, but at, I did walk by the other day while I was looking for some magic cards. I said, oh, look, there's a, there's a Wolverine uh, comic book. How smart. Hey, look, at, you, you know, you know what, where I shop, where, yes. where I get my groceries? Yes. It's called Clemma's Apple Market. <laughs> Clemas slash Apple Market. It is it is the a, a tiny little grocery store in the tiny little town that I live in, and they nice sometimes day. they in in Little Russell, Kansas, um, just down the street from Smallville, <laughs> and they I've seen like the the little Marvel anthologies yeah, there and the yeah. little Wolverine anthologies just in that store. Marvel yeah. is doing a great job. Of at least distributing those. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're selling, mm-hmm. but I see them. You know, this is the thing. Uh, same way with Archie Comics, where they pay the grocery stores to have their little Archie Digest right there at the checkout counter. Mm-hmm. You know, I I bet Archie Comics is alive today because of that marketing campaign, because you're at the checkout line. Your kid is like, oh, want to read. Yep. And so you you're buy like, us a couple bucks, and like, it's Oh, my good. God, he wants why, to read. Why does your kid always talk like a kid in a 1960s Mort Weisinger comic? Because <laughs> he is. Me want rock candy. <laughs> Rodrigo me noise. Me, me want candy cigarettes. <laughs> Forget the candy, kid. Here's the real thing. <laughs> uh, but, let's, let's stop your growth at three feet. It's good, but they're easier to chew. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the thing. Why, you know, and I think the problem is, and, and kind of answer to your rant or comment or whatever that you're making, Greg, is that uh, DC doesn't understand how to maybe market to the direct market like... Well, Marvel is doing, and, and that's the problem with the comic book industry is so many of them are marketing to the direct market, and they're not thinking about their bigger outlets. I don't know about Borders or, Wal- or uh, Walden Books or B. Dalton. Which is... <laughs> <laughs> Nord- Nordstrom. Is... What's the over and under on that? I mean, what are they actually profiting in terms of that comic in Clemma's IGA. By the way, it used to be you'd walk in the front door, you take a left, and you could walk past the two, count them, two cash registers. There's a little area where you could sit, and then there was an actual spinner rack with comics on it at Clemma's IGA. They, they no that longer was have back that. In the 80s. They, they, ha- they have moved up to four counters. Yeah, to four cash registers. They have they have this like magazine rack that has everything from Vogue to L to some magazine that no longer exists that Stephen probably wants to read. <laughs> right. And they do Steven have Wizard, like, Wizard Magazine is Mag- Wizard Mad, magazine, Mad isn't magazine. Toy Fair isn't there. Mad Don't magazine. They have the life? What about the life? <laughs> yeah. Stephen wants to read life at the B um, Dalton. That's right next to the Kellogg's Pep <laughs> that they sell. Um <laughs> But they still have like little tiny grocery carts that have a little thing that's oh, yeah, a, yeah. for a Coca Cola. Yeah, yeah, you can like buy it and drink it while you're <laughs> at the store, and then you can pay for but, the can. When but you leave. so Matthew, you think there's not a profit to be made in in these uh, anthology I think books? That Marvel has two things that DC does not have. Marvel has a higher profit margin overall, to where they can put those books out as a loss leader. 
mm-hmm. and say, look at this, you know, we're raising our profile. The kids are like, oh, Wolverine's in a comic book too. Yeah. Nice. And Marvel also has less of a corporate overlord, you know, breathing down their necks. Oh, in the form of time them why their yeah. IR is only 99.62%. Those bastards who don't round up See, to 100. It, it seems Warner Brothers me. is, you know, I mean, Warner Brothers is, we are Warner Brothers. We have come to take your money. Whereas Marvel, Marvel still is kind of a, a hippy-dippy little thing where it's like, we make comics, dude. Well, and I mean, that would be a good explanation to say, hey, we're getting these comics out to uh, all the little kitties in hopes of, raising our profile of Wolverine or Iron Man or Miss Marvel or whoever, and we're going to offset that loss by jumping the price of our regular comics up by a buck. Hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I can understand. I think you got a good point there. I don't know how many people are rushing out and buying these magazines. Again, I don't have... Let well, me look here. They're not magazines to be rushed out and bought. <laughs> let me look here. Matthew's hand Matthew is, is trying to, me. to flip me in the air. Matthew Matthew just recently got a webcam, I guess. So now we can see him, and which is very me. distracting. You don't want to see Hello. Matthew. Hello, I'm a cobra. No oh. one can see this joke. We'll probably edit it out of the final product. But here I am. Hello. No, I'm going to leave it in. Uh, let's see. Oh, man. I just found out when, when Matthew said, I am a cobra. I just found out that there is this, like, uh, initiative that, like, gives you money. If you if you leave your job and you can't find another job and you need health insurance, called Cobra. So we were talking about my old boss joining Cobra, oh, and I was like, everything makes awesome. so much sense now. <laughs> okay, now the only thing in the top three hundred comics for April, and again, this is direct market numbers, not uh, supermarket numbers. Uh, right. But there is none of these titles that he's mentioning, uh, the, none of the magazines show up on the top three hundred. The closest thing is Marvel Adventures Superheroes number 10, which came in at the very bottom of the list at 300. So, you know, they're probably they're probably not selling anything. But again, I think if maybe and I didn't see a lot of people bring this up when we were doing our um, our publisher, you're the editor in chief articles and we're going to bring those back this week. Don't worry. Um, But that's something that a lot of people didn't mention. They didn't say, hey, why don't I get out there more into the direct market? Well, there was one person who said the direct market was was doing fine. Uh, But I I don't see DC Comics. I mean, if they did that, they might actually get some better awareness of some of their characters or lesser characters like the the marvel your your universe anthology it it is it is a loss leader it is something that they're probably losing money on that they're hoping will bring people back to a comic book store i'm honestly surprised that i mean time warner got dc for the properties that's that's what they are they just want to mine dc for properties and the problem is is that that's all they're doing with it you know time warner with its gigantic infrastructure and just pools and pools of money that any given duck could just wash himself down on mm-hmm. um they could make dc comics into the number one leader of comic books if they just started pumping crap loads of money into it and, and, advertising and some people it, might and, and some people like, are you getting time warner cable here's 20 comics to go with it yeah and what they, what they might be saying though is well, we're doing that, but it's called Batman the Brave and the Bold, and you can find it on Cartoon Network, plus mm-hmm. we get advertising dollars off of that. Sure. I so. think that Warner Brothers sees DC 
as built-in pitches for television, for movies, oh, exactly. for other projects. There are so many people who get into comics now with you know a failed internet pitch or a failed website, a failed movie hey, script, mm-hmm. something or something that wouldn't sell. <laughs> My Kung, zombie kung, kung fu, fu western. western. And you know you know why that is. The simple answer is. In a comic book, your only budget is How what you can afford to is. pay some jackass who can draw. Yeah. 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 I mean, you don't have to spend $50,000 to animate Soundwave. You give Tony Lee $50 and he'll have his brother draw it or something. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of Pat Lee. I don't know. Uh, you guys can uh, voice your opinions down there in the comment section on the Majorspoilers.com website. That's right. Or you can email us again at a podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And now we get to the review. Review. guess I shouldn't do it like that, considering that Mike Jackson just died. All right. Rodrigo. Come on, I was doing the Doctor Who theme there for a second. <laughs> Rodrigo. Dun, 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 dun. Oh. Reviews. <laughs> I'm going to continue trying to distract Steven with my webcam. It doesn't work. I've already done a lot. Of, I've already ignored you. Rodrigo, why don't you... Uh, Regale us with the tales of Witchblade. Oh, wait, not, not Witchblade. Something right. else from Image so, Comics. So, following my trend of uh, reviewing number one issues of Magic Hotties, Image has uh, sent out The Descendant, oh, number okay. one. Okay. It is a book about a hot chick who is in this paramilitary, or actually probably a military organization. Um, she is a super cool soldier chick who fights with a sword, even though she should probably use a gun. Okay. Um... She is the only member of her team who is not clad from head to toe in um, kind of armored leather. For some reason, she fights in a corset and jeans. Really? Yeah. Wait, Bull- what? Bullet- bulletproof corset and jeans? No, no. Just a corset. And jeans. Yeah, pretty and much. probably I mean, lowrider jeans to where you can see you, her, th- her thong back. Right? I, guess, I guess you could say it's a halter top, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a corset and, and a leather jacket. <laughs> okay. That is always that she never closes. Um, she's so very well formed. Yes, very very attractive. She's she's Hispanic. You you can tell because she says things like Madre de Dios and <laughs> Hola Senor and things like that. Um, sometimes I say those things too. You do, and then you hit, me. and it's offensive. Does, <laughs> um, does anyone actually say that? Just no, nobody actually says. Nobody that. says Hola Senor. I, I will. I will. Uh, I will leave off my rant about that character <laughs> speaking in Spanish, which I think I've gone on yes. before. Everybody go back um, and listen to uh, Santa. What is it? Santa oh, of the Saint Shark episode. Yeah, the the one with um, corrective measures. Yes, that's that's one of them. Um, but uh, she, so she's a badass and she's fighting and stuff. And then like her eyes start glowing a little bit, which is like no, 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 not my ill-defined powers coming out, not now. <laughs> so she gets through this op. And and everything's okay, and it, it we find out that she's in a relationship with her immediate superior, right? Um, at which point, some crazy priest comes up and is like, "Oh, you need to go back to your family." She's like, "No," and he's like, "Yes." She's like, "No," and he's like, "Yes." Your brothers is in trouble, and she's like, "Oh no, not my brothers!" At which point, she goes back to her village, in which is Mexico? being beset by mutant monsters. I think it's it's in Panama. I think. Oh, okay. Because they're in the Panama Canal. Okay, that's that's where this whole thing is set up. Okay, okay. Which good. is, I guess, the, the the shaky premise of where the U.S. is involved, which just doesn't make any sense because the Panama, Panama Canal doesn't Panama own. Maybe the, this takes place in 1987. Maybe it does. 
in any case, she goes back, and now this evil American corporation is is making is turning the natives into mutant cats. Wait, what? <laughs> what? Explain that again. This, this evil, evil corporation. American corporation called like Bane or something. Oh, I thought it was going to be called Coca Cola. Well, something similarly like overt, like basically called American Evil Inc. <laughs> um, like, A-E-I. did you guys ever see a? Uh, uh, Shaolin Soccer. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, evil, yeah, the evil team. Is the team. Yeah. Evil team uses awesome American <laughs> drugs to become more powerful. It's, fa- it's the same thing. Same same company. Okay. Um, what is the name of this book? Because <laughs> I'm going to go look that Descendant. up. Descendant. We probably have it up there on, the, uh, on our little review area, Matthew. So she gets back to her village, and the villagers are like, You are a witch. We do not like you. And the priest is like, No, she's going to save us. And then the monsters attack, and they're like, Rawr. So she's like, oh, I am going to become on fire. So she becomes on fire. <laughs> Does she say it just like that? <laughs> Man, I really wish she did. I'm going to become on fire. Madre de Dios. Yes. Señores. Now, now here's, here's, a, fuego. here's the fantastic thing. Here's, here's one thing that I noticed. Okay. At the beginning of the book, when she's fighting, and these are these are like corporate terrorists. These are like terrorists <laughs> that have been hired to knock over. Which they're wearing means they're suits. Not, and... Well, it, it means that they're not terrorists. They're mercenaries. Sporting iPhones. But they call they keep calling them terrorists yes <laughs> they all wear really thin ties and like dark like dark rimmed glasses it's, it's very trendy frosted tips it's it's all the rage <laughs> they don't carry suitcases it's those one strap backpacks they are tools <laughs> oh i have one of those but i got it as a premium going to a cpb event anyway what, what was I going? You were talking oh, about yeah. she at the beginning. Fire. At the beginning, she There's fights terrorists, script. and they're they're all terrorists that speak English. Like they're mercenaries. She fights some mercenaries. They all speak English, and she keeps throwing out all these quips in Spanish. Then she fights these monsters in in her home village with all these villagers who speak Spanish around, and she doesn't say anything in Spanish. She talks to the beasts in English, and the beasts are like mutated villagers who probably speak Spanish. Maybe that's one of their mutations. Maybe they can instantly understand English. That's that's entirely possible. But sometimes they have the little brackets to indicate that they're speaking in another language. Right. It's just hodgepodge. There's no method to it. In any case, she becomes on fire and um, kills all the beasts in one <laughs> shot. They all die. <laughs> Incinerates them. Does she say? Does she at least have the decency to say Inuk Chuck? <laughs> Well, she doesn't say flame on, so I guess I can't get sued. Um, Yo soy un fuego! Um, the, uh, Which is Spanish for, I believe I am currently on fire. It's 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 Spanish for, I am a fire. <laughs> nice! But, but uh, okay, quick, quick total sidetracking. In Spanish, when the, when the human torch says, uh, flame on, right. he actually, in Spanish, it was it's translated as, llamas a mí. Which is to me fire. Ah. It's, it's fire to me. But in all the uh, Fantastic Four commercials that were translated into Spanish that were advertising the movie in English, like he would say "flame on," and the subtitle would just say "fire." <laughs> <laughs> Fuego. Yeah, that's all it said. <laughs> in any case, this is book there was no not Spanish super word great. for on. So this sounds like a lot of like. I believe does Spanish like... has no prepositional phrases, right? No, not at all. This sounds a lot like Witchblade. It sounds like Dark it's, Child. It's it sounds like young, uh, attractive girl. 
with a mysterious past. Yeah. Using the mysterious past is important. This ill-defined uh, power that she barely has control over, Jane and it probably uh, generates from some evil source. But she's doing her best to control it. It is the same story that we've seen probably only two dozen times. Who's, do you know who the writer it, is on this? I do not. I checked briefly to see if it was somebody I recognized, and it wasn't. And I checked to see if there if it was somebody Hispanic. There is somebody with a Hispanic last name. In like associated with the book, which makes me extra sad if he's actually. Oh really? Yeah, he might just be the artist. You you get that a lot. A lot of the time, you check on the Asian guy oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. the Mexican or, or the the Spanish sounding guy are, are a lot of the times the artists on the books. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't know who wrote it, but it wasn't the name I recognized. Okay. Um. All in all, I'll give it. Really, two slices of meatloaf. Really, after all of that wow. exciting tales of the the Whoa. art goes back and forward. Um, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to come out and accuse somebody of it. But the 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 art, like the faces of the characters and kind of the style in which the characters are drawn, change so drastically that it kind of smacks a little bit of tracing and that's that's a big i know that's a big like greg land tracing yeah, that's kind of stuff? that's that's a big accusation yeah basically him looking at something that um turner drew or that you know madureira drew or something like that yeah. and just kind of drawing that character just once he finds that expression that he wants okay um it's i know it's a big accusation i'm not actually accusing him on it but the changes in the way the character is drawn are so drastic sometimes that it kind of feels that way. Really? Interesting. Okay, thank you, Rodrigo, for that little bit of stuff. This week, I am reviewing the first issue. It's like it seems to be uh, two first issues in a row here. I am reviewing Paul Denny's Gotham City Sirens, part of this whole Batman Reborn thing that DC Comics has going on. Uh, this is a tale. You know, there have been many times that DC has tried to launch something that features Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, and Catwoman together. Uh, I think there was something, uh, uh, a web video series back in the early 2000s called, what was it called? Girls of Gotham or something like that? Girl Frenzy. Was that what it was? No, I don't think so. Sirens of Gotham? Maybe, well, I don't know. I don't think it was. Or Gotham, <laughs> Gotham City, City Girls. Gotham City Girls, something like Gotham that. Gotham Girls, I believe it was. Okay. Uh, and this kind of feels that same that same way, not as wacky, perhaps, as as that web series was. Uh, but this is a story that features Selena Kyle still trying to recover from her uh, heart operation, her, her operation, her heart <laughs> extraction reinsertion, and she's not up to a hundred percent, which causes this guy called what is this guy called Bone Crusher? Bone. Let's call him Block Deviser. Bone Blaster. Yeah. Uh, right. To try to take her down, which. Is She's he played by Macho Man Randy Savage. Well, he is wearing a death mask, so Ooh, it's a little yeah. hard to tell. Snap into a slip, Jim. And it turns out that Poison Ivy comes to her rescue and says, "Well, why don't you come uh, over to uh, the Riddler's house with me? We're shacking up together, hanging out." Turns out Poison Ivy has got Edward Nigma in a uh, trance. Trance, you know, one of her poison trances. She's so nice. And it just so happens that Harley Quinn, wearing the uh, schoolgirl outfit. Nice. Comes traipsing in. They're all living together, uh, using the money. Well, I shouldn't say using the money that Selena Kyle gave them after helping her take down um, what's his face, Hush, Hush, a couple issues ago or a couple of uh, 
probably about six months ago now. Turns out that Harley is spending her money left and right, like we saw in uh, the Streets of Gotham series. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Poison Ivy gave all of her money to charity, so they're essentially broke and doing crimes and stuff, and Riddler doesn't know what's going on, and, and they basically oh, say, hey, what's, what's going on? What's going on, man? They basically, Harley and Ivy basically say, hey, should we let Catwoman join our crew? But there's something wrong with her. She's not at 100%. I hear that there was a magician involved in getting her heart back in, and so uh, Poison Ivy goes to uh, check in on Zatanna, who is disrobing in a bath. Unfortunately, we don't get to see, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably not the art that you're expecting uh, from uh, from Rodrigo's last review. Right. Because most of the people in this issue stay modestly covered uh, for the most part. Even uh, in the bath. Yeah, and so, you know, Ivy tries to accuse uh, Zatanna of doing some magical mojo on her, which is false. Uh, but uh, Bonebreaker, Crusher Saw Man... Somehow followed them to the Riddler's apartment, breaks in, which breaks the Didn't Riddler's he spell. Fight Shadow, Hawk, Star, Dark Man. Yes, Ravenclaw. <laughs> Ravenclaw, <Yeah>. Shadow Man. <laughs> Who knows uh, what evil lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, turns out the three of them decide to team up. They go and they get a shelter. And, um, of course, uh, a couple of interesting things about this about this issue. Number one... When the Riddler comes out of his spell, Bone Crusher Lockjaw, Avenger <laughs> Pet, uh, is pretty much helpless. And Eddie picks up his question cane and just beats the crap out of this guy. And he kind of has an evil face to him. So I don't know if this is just Nigma becoming angry and frustrated and trying to take out his aggressions on this guy. Or if we're going to see him kind of switch back to being a, an evil villain again or if he's still going to be playing... Uh, the world's second greatest detective. The other thing that's that's interesting is at the end of the issue, Poison Ivy and um, and Harley both slam Catwoman to the ground and say, hey, if you're going to join our crew, you have to tell us who is Batman because we know you're close with him. And that's kind of how the cliffhanger ends. There were, there were a lot of people concerned about a certain phrase uh, in this issue. They're meeting with their real estate agent, essentially a guy who finds hideouts for criminals. Mm-hmm. He's on the phone, and he says, let me read this. He's, uh, hello, Jarvis, I've lined up something very special for you. Deserted Storybook Park, Riverview, ner- n- numerous emergency exits, and best of all, just down the street from an all-girls academy. You know, meaning you know, that he's probably going to try to brainwash some girl that looks a lot like Alice into his way of thinking. I didn't really pay much attention to it. But when you throw in the Streets of Gotham story from a couple of weeks ago, Greg Rucka, and no, I think, is it Paul? Maybe the Paul Denny's writing that one too, uh, where it's got the little 12 year old prostitute. People are kind of all torn up about this. What's Paul Denny doing with young girls in comic books? Da, 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 da. I didn't really see it as that. I just kind of saw it as what it was just it's, villains it- being villains. It's Gotham City. I mean, yeah. there are th- worse things in Gotham City than the implication of underage prostitution. Yeah. One um, of the main characters this book had one of her organs cut out. Yeah, and put back in. Uh, what about the whole uh, domination thing with Eddie, Eddie Nigma? What about that? How come people aren't in arms about that? What Girl about the power. What about the lame uh, villain of the week? Why aren't people upset about that? Overall, I, you know, I, eh, you know. Harley Quinn is not her, you know, whenever I read Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy together, 
The only thing that I can think of is the Batman animated series, you know, where they're all going crazy together. There's hinted lesbianism. Uh, There's only one bed in that hotel room. <laughs> and they're both walking around in their underwears and T-shirts. Yep. Um, you know, that's what I think of the Quinn Isley team up. Mm -hmm. And that's not the vibe that I got from this book, which is fine. I mean, I, I'm open to that. Um, I think it'd it be kind of cool if they were... Moved. It just yeah. kind of moved. It just kind of went through the actions almost. It was almost like a cookie cutter. Here's how we get Selena Kyle and these other two hooked up together. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, I was expecting a lot more. I was expecting a lot more from the art. The art is nice. I mean, Rodrigo was just looking at uh, Harley Quinn and her schoolgirl outfit. Mm -hmm. She's okay. But yeah. like I said, it's not... She's not Asian, but hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, can't she's... have everything. You're not going to see girls in skin-tight jeans and halter tops fighting with swords. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's a corset. <laughs> so, you, you know, I right. thought the story was interesting. I'm probably going to continue on this series. Uh, but for the uh, first issue of Gotham City Sirens, three and a half slices of meatloaf, drizzle on maybe a little bit of cheese. Mm -hmm. uh, but other than that, three and a half. Slices. Cool. That's all I can give it. Matthew, what do you got for us? I am running behind the times because I only have 99.62% IR. Damn round up to so 100. I have been forced to utilize uh, all sorts of uh, stupid things and stuff. I have New Avengers number 54, which makes me sad because 53 is my lucky number, which reveals the identity of the new Sorcerer Supreme of the Marvel Universe. And that man is, is the Brother old Voodoo. No, Brother Voodoo, note. really? This is yeah, all because I, this is because all the bad guys are becoming in power, right? Well, back during uh, World War Hulk, yeah. Um, when was that? Fifty-seven years ago. It seems like it. Um, Doctor Strange called upon the spirit of a, an extra-dimensional demon called Zom to fight the Hulk. And because he drew on the powers of Zom, he tainted his magics and was uh, basically decided to be unfit to be Sorcerer Supremo. Ah. So the power has deserted him, and the all-seeing eye of Agamumu, Mama, Mima, Mumu, Mumu, went looking for a new bearer, and it found it in Brother Voodoo. Hmm. Now, Brother V, for those of you who don't know, is a, a relatively Marvel, a minor, rather, Marvel character from the 70s, who is uh, an African-American doctor whose brother died and now haunts him. So Jericho Drum, Brother Voodoo, actually draws his power from the spirit of his own dead brother. Now, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Uh, brother Voodoo is a good guy. Oh, okay. I have I'd never heard of this guy. He sounds awesome. Probably because you're conf is confusing awesome him with the, uh, with the character from uh, the James Bond movie. Um, he does have a little bit in common with Baron Samede. Um, yeah. One of the things that's fascinating about oh. Brother Voodoo, in his first appearance, he fights a man dressed as a giant chicken. So you got <laughs> that going for you, which is nice. Uh, I highly recommend that you look up Strange Tales 170 through 174, Rodrigo, from about 1970. Cool. I do have a copy at uh, Gatekeeper Hobbies on Dune and Gage, Topeka. It's under miscellaneous S because yeah, Strange I'll drive Tales doesn't have a half hours. No, Brian. Scroll. Brian did a few weeks ago. Store was closed. Nah. <laughs> of course he showed well, he up. He showed up at ten o'clock on Friday night. night. <laughs> oh, scroll, it's, Brian. You're so crazy. <laughs> and it's not like he would have spent more than about nineteen dollars anyway. So you know. Oh please, he would have spent five dollars and then complained scroll. about that. <laughs> it's what we like to refer to as scrunny. 
But anyway, this issue opens with the all singing I, uh, the all singing, all dancing <laughs> I of Agamemnon's all daughter. All singing, all dancing review. <laughs> Showing up at Jericho Drum's apartment and saying, You are now the sorcerer supreme of the universe. And Brother Bruto is like, What? But of course, he takes on the eye of Agamemnon. And we then cut forward to the end of last issue, where the demon Dormammu, not to be confused with Agamotto, my daughter loves reading these comics. She's like, I don't even know what that word is. But in any case, Agamotto, the eye of Agamotto, empowers Brother Voodoo to fight Dormammu, who's also been fighting the New Avengers, and Doctor Strange, who is no longer the Sorcerer Supreme, and there's some fighty-fighty, and there's some magic-y-magic-y, and the sword, excuse me, the hood loses his powers and is nearly eaten, but, you know, no such luck for me. And we get to this wonderful moment where it's all, like, you know, fireworks and magics and stuff, and Luke Cage and Spider-Man are just kind of standing there, and Luke's like, uh, get ready if this doesn't work. Spider-Man's like, I'm already peeing. <laughs> Um, but, of course, everybody stands around, and Brother Voodoo uses his magic to exercise the demon from the hood, which should theoretically make the hood less obnoxious. But, of course, it won't. And we, we end up with Brother Voodoo as the new Sorcerer Supreme, Doctor Strange going, yes, I will teach you of my ways, and the son of Satan, Damon Hellstrom, going, yeah, everything sucks and we're all going to die. And it really sets up an interesting dynamic, and I'm kind of hoping that we get a book where Brother Voodoo is trying to learn the ways of the Sorcerer Supreme from the Son of Satan and Doctor Strange. Awesome. Because it would be like kind of a mystical version of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The Three Stooges. Oh. No. Um, kind of a, I don't know. I was going somewhere, and then it didn't matter. Three, three men and a mystical baby? <laughs> I was going to say Karate Kid, but... Yeah, we get to the end of the issue, and the as they have been doing, Clint Barton and uh, Norman Osborn have been warring back and forth with public statements in the media. Clint Barton goes on TV and says, "Hi, I'm Clint Barton. That's Brother Voodoo. He's the new Sorcerer Supreme. Norman Osborn's a jackass. Love you. Thanks. Bye." And uh, <laughs> it's it's interesting to me that this keeps showing up where. Clint goes on television and says, Norman Osborn is a jackass. And Norman goes on television and goes, Clint Barton's a reactionary. It's, it's interesting to see. And that's the, that's the only part of this book that's actually really about the new Avengers. Oh, really? Yeah. All of this book is set up for what I presume to be an upcoming Dr. Voodoo. They've changed his name. Limited series or ongoing oh, series or is something. Is there still an ongoing Dr. Strange? Maybe they'll just pull an incredible no. Hercules. Doctor Strange hasn't had his own title in years. He had okay. a miniseries in yeah, 2003. Book nowadays. Yeah. But we get to the end of the book, and of course I thought, oh, the hood is dead. Long live the hood. Hooray, ding dong. The stupid character is dead, lady D. Of course, Loki shows up in the hood's uh, room and says, oh, now I will give you power. Ooh, look at my boobies. <laughs> um, I am a girl now. <laughs> we get to the final page. Norman Osborn goes on TV to refute Clint Barton, and the last page is Clint Barton telling Mockingbird, we're going to have to kill him. Uh-oh. 
So it's kind of a shocking moment if you've ever read a Hawkeye story in that Hawkeye doesn't like to kill and, in fact, actually nearly divorced his wife once over the fact that she didn't kill a guy, but she didn't save him either. So it's a pretty shocking reveal, and I'm hoping that Bendis is going for something along the lines of, oh, my God, what a horrible, shocking moment this is, as opposed to, I have no idea what Clint Barton's character has ever been. I'm just going to write him as an extension of the same character I write in every book, and we will call him Brian Bendis. Awesome. There are pluses and minuses to this book. The major plus is Brother Voodoo. The major minus is Brian Bendis does not do well with fourth-dimensional magical plots. Instead of magical incantations, they have these weird kind of repetitive things that really honestly sound like someone going through their bar mitzvah, and I I can say that because I'm Jewish. But the issue is not badly drawn. It's not well drawn, but it's not poorly drawn. It's some of the better work that I've seen out of... uh, the gentleman's name is Tan. I, I want to say Mika Tan, but I believe that's wrong. <laughs> that's, a, that's an Asian porn star. Sorry. Uh, Billy Tan. Billy Tan is kind of a uh, hit and miss guy. The reason he's on this book is because his art vaguely resembles Lionel Yu. So uh-huh. it it's good in that it doesn't resemble Lionel Yu as much. It's kind of a middle-of-the-road book. It has some nice moments. There's no real hell yeah moment. But it's good to see Marvel taking another, you know, B-list or C-list character and trying to give them some elevation. Um, it remains to be seen whether it's an actual push or whether they're just making him the interim champion only to be squashed by Triple H in a couple of months. But in any case, you know, Brother Voodoo taking over the role puts a high prof- another high-profile African-American character in the Marvel Universe, which I'm all for. Cool. Um Two and a half slices of meatloaf across the board. Shaky art. The story's kind of up and down. When it's not about the Avengers, it's great. The stuff about the Avengers is kind of marginal. There's a lot of characters in this book who just stand there. Captain America, Spider-Woman, Mockingbird. But all in all, it, it, it wasn't offensive. It just sort of happened. And overall, I'm satisfied with the fact that it happened. And I'm sure in three months, I'll forget that it ever did. All right, cool. So there you go. Uh, there's some reviews. And let's quickly, because I think we're running short on time here, uh, let's get through our poll of the week. Week, 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 week. Wish this were in Syria. You just blew out a lot of people's ears. That was awesome. And somehow turned off his uh, camera at the same time. So <laughs> My there. camera's only on when I want it to be. Oh, I see. So that's why it keeps flashing on every 30 seconds. Interesting. Yep. And he's always flipping All in right. the finger when it does. I yeah, know. For some reason, I don't know why. He keeps telling me <laughs> I'm number one. Uh, okay, so let us get to our poll of the week. We're going to do a – this one's kind of way out of uh, left field. This one is probably oh, – As opposed to all our other polls. <laughs> exactly. Our regular polls, which are sensible and down to earth. <laughs> um, it's time. For the seven in attendance and the two people listening at home because Stephen really wants to get through the poll. <laughs> okay, sorry. We had a little glitch there. Stephen being stupid. Among other things. My name is Steven, and I'm all stupid. Look at me. I'm Steven. Hello. (laughs) 
Hey, Chris. I got some popsicles in my basement. Uh, every time. Every, every time. All right, let's get to this poll of the week. That's jumping, jumping, time. jumping, jumping back in time. Old school. So old that there wasn't even a school. <laughs> there might have been. I don't know. Caveman. The secret is Whoa. to bang the rocks together, guys. Major spoilers want fight. We think fight good. Fight could be anthro. Fight could be alley oop. Steven, what about you? Uh, I went with uh, Alley Oop because that guy's been hit on the head so many times and it doesn't even phase him. Too I went, long. With, I went with Alley Oop. Rodrigo. I will also go with Alley Oop. You know who Alley Oop is? No idea. <laughs> you know who Anthro but, is? But, but visually, I like him better than Anthro. Okay. How can you say that? The first nubile young man. <laughs> Matthew, what say you? Uh, I actually am going to buck the trend because I really like how he posts art on Anthro. And I'm sure it's a huge surprise that I actually know something about this character who is incredibly obscure that nobody cares about. Howie Post was also a, a regular standard issue cartoonist who did, like, you know, Bigfoot work. But his work on Anthro was very, very interesting. And it came at a time in DC's history when there wasn't anything like it out there. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, so there you go. Two for Alley Hoop. He's got a cool song. I don't know if Anthro ever had a cool theme song. Anthro was drawn by Howie Post. <laughs> uh, Alley Hoop traveled through time. Anthro yeah, was so did, drawn by Howie Post. Now, I, so, you know, I, so did Fred Flintstone, and he's not somehow not on this. <laughs> well, not yet. Uh, uh, you know, I I will give Anthro uh, a few bits of credit here. He had two hot women. Alley Oop mm. only had the one. Mm. See, Alley Oop and Anthro are from the past. Fred Flintstone is from the future. Right, right. <laughs> he comes from a post-apocalyptic society in our future, not as far forward as the Jetsons. Or else we'd be seeing the rock and creature versions of flying cars. But from a point where the universe, you know, something happened, the entirety of the of the uh, established universe, the people were destroyed, and they've rebuilt society using the rocks and the creatures and the things. And on that note, uh, Velma is an Asian schoolgirl, apparently, in the next Scooby-Doo movie. Rockola! Uh, we How have... about them X-Men? <laughs> Let's talk about some X-Men. Not just regular X-Men. Let's talk about new X-Men. And Is not it... just any old new X-Men. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. The Grant Morrison new X-Men. Not the all-new, all-different X-Men. Those are different no, new no, no, X-Men. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about uh, Grant Morrison's run on the new X-Men that began with issue 114. And for the purposes of this re- review, we're talking about the first trade paperback, which went up to, what did I say, Matthew, 126 or something? 126 and also included the 2001 X-Men Annual, known to the world as X-Men Annual 2001. Yes. <laughs> A okay. Space Odyssey. So, before everybody goes, oh, Steven's reviewing X-Men and Grant Morrison, two things that he despises, I'll have to say this. I don't despise X-Men, and I don't despise Grant Morrison. I think the problem with X-Men, just -hmm. like the problem with JSA, just like the problem with JLA, really any team book, is that it's a team book, and unless you know every character and all of their stuff that they're dealing with, it's like being dropped into 
the middle of the guiding light, and it takes you about six months to figure out what's going on. <laughs> you, would, you can figure it out. You in would seven pick episodes. the one soap opera that's canceled. <laughs> I would. Of course, he watched it in the B Dalton while you know <laughs> leafing through Life magazine and eating his Zagnut oh, bar. There's Steven a method lives to in my an alternate comments. universe where it's eternally 15 years ago, <laughs> oh, or as we call it, Western Kansas. <laughs> Guiding Light is still in season two here, <laughs> uh, and so that okay. So right away, my my big problem with X Men and getting into the X Men is it's a team book and it's got a lot of history to it, to where it's it's going to take me 14, 15 issues to figure out what's going on, and by the end of those 14 or 15 issues. I'm kind of like, man, it was a struggle to get through it. I don't know if I want to continue. So that's my big issue with uh, th- these new X-Men titles that we're going with. I don't have a problem with Grant Morrison, per se. I believe he needs to be judged on the work that he is working on, mm-hmm. not not the fact that I didn't like what he did on, on Batman. That has nothing to do with it. So I'm evaluating Grant Morrison on new X-Men as he wrote new X-Men. And you made some comment earlier, Rodrigo. Yeah, when I... I was I was informed a couple of days ago that uh, that run of X Men that I'd read, New X Men, was written by Grant Morrison. I I, I largely I liked it, <laughs> um, and I was oh, not aware. I mean, I I I've always I I'm usually always informed after. I was like, ah, you know what was you know what was really good that JLA one million storyline. I like that. Right, right. Who wrote that? Grant Morrison. Exactly. Yeah. So apparently, I like Grant Morrison. Okay, and that, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I, you know. Uh, the interesting thing about this is both Rodrigo and Matthew read these in their original run. So they mm-hmm. have a lot more history and a lot more knowledge on this uh, topic. So, Matthew, can you kind of summarize what this whole first third arc of Grant Morrison's run on the new X-Men is all about? It came at a point where X-Men had been, and rightfully so, at X-Men had become... It was something that people didn't want to read. It, it, it had a problem that, like the Legion occasionally has, where it was so wrapped up in its own, its own continuity mm-hmm. that its head was it firmly wedged in its own colon in this weird Ouroboros kind of thing, and Marvel wanted to relaunch all of the X-Men titles. It came out roughly, roughly the same time that, um, I believe, a couple of years before they relaunched Astonishing X-Men. Mm-hmm. But... This was a point where Marvel really said, we're going to do something entirely new and different and revitalize the X-Men franchise. And all of the X-Fans hated it. And all of the people who had, you know, maybe drifted away from X-Men or people who didn't care that it was different, that it wasn't an X-Men comic, seemed to like it. Basically, I said this to Tom uh, Grice years ago who is still wrong, sir, wrong. (laughs) This is not good X-Men comics, but it's great comics. Mm -hmm. Why do you you say that? What makes this... um, Clarify your statement. Well, in 1963, we were given the concept of the Xavier School for Youngsters. It never had more than five students, and by the 70s, none of them were kids anymore. It was, you know, a German guy with three toes, this 100-year-old Canadian, and a woman who may or may not have been from Africa. She had blue eyes and blonde hair. But this relaunched... And, and, and this her came accent right after keeps the going on in and out in but the movie. But this <laughs> relaunched the concept of the Xavier Academy as a school for mutants. And all right. the characters that we knew were the instructors. You know, 
Uh, Cyclops was apparently the instructor of stick up your ass, and Wolverine was the instructor of, you know, smell like beer and farts all the time. But and Jean Grey was the them... instructor of love triangles. <laughs> exactly. They each were an instructor at a school, and it introduced these kid mutants who were real mutants, because if you look, let's say you talk about, oh, the horrible life of a mutant to be horribly, horribly misshapen and bloody blue. Well, you know who's a mutant? The Scarlet Witch, who is a smoking hottie redhead. Yep. And Jean Grey, who's a smoking hottie redhead. And Storm, who's a smoking hottie African-American woman with white hair. All of the X-Men are beautiful people. Even the ones that are ugly are ugly in a beautiful way. I mean, the in the original X-Men, you know what the biggest thing that made them a freak was? Beast? Hank McCoy had big feet. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my God, I look have... at his big feet. Today exactly. the women would be chasing after him. Uh, and even when he became a, rumor. a monster, <laughs> even when he became, you know, the ape beast, he was still a handsome, heroic character. Mm -hmm. Some of these kids are just freakish mutants. The yep. Beak, who is the greatest character ever in X-Men history, as far as <laughs> I'm concerned. The Beak, who's this uh, mutated guy who looks like he's half Osprey, a disgusting little creature, can't even fly. He's just got these vestigial wings. Yeah, he kind of looks like basically the, uh, has no powers. He looks but like he what ends Tomar up Ray from the encapsulating. He becomes emblematic of everything that's wonderful about the X Men because they take that whole "we are all outsiders" thing and take it away from you know the obvious parallel of you know say uh, the homosexual culture. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it is a valid parallel, don't get me wrong. I understand, but it took that central conceit and said, let's stand this on its head. So instead of, you know, a few mutants against a world of humans, they revealed, I think, during like issue, like, like the third or fourth issue of this arc, that the humans were dying out and the mutants are the way of the future. Yeah, they had, uh, uh, Beast had discovered this gene mm -hmm. in the DNA thanks to, uh, Cassandra Nova, right? Uh, Cassie Nova, um, yep. that uh, that there's this gene that turns off, and so every million years or whatever, you see this giant leap in evolution, and it's because the older version turns itself off and just dies out, and so that's what they've discovered here in this human population. Which when right. and they don't really say that word gets out, but there's something that occurs that uh, increases the amount of mutant hatred, and it's probably when Charles Xavier comes out and says. My name's Charles Xavier. You may know me as Professor X. I am a mutant. And it yep. kicks off this whole fervor of mutant hatred again. And people storming the Xavier school and demanding that mutants get the heck out. And it also spawns, and this was the part that I, I didn't really, that I had a problem with in this in this arc, was that um, uh, suddenly we have this introduction of the U-men, right. who are humans, who don't right. want to go out quietly in the night, they want to go out as enhanced humans, and so they're killing mutants and taking mm -hmm. their parts and, and putting them into their bodies. So if someone has x-ray vision, they'll cut out their eyeballs and put it in, into their head. Right. It's an interesting conceit where all of a sudden everything we know is wrong, and it's turned on its head in a good way, where the X-Men now have the upper hand. They are the wave of the future. And people, you know, people hate them, but it's also a rebranding where... The mutants are these cool people, and Xavier establishes a presence around the world, kind of, you know, X-Men McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, and, franchises. And, and, and it's kind of, it's what would have, it seems in a way naturally happened in the world, just like 
You know, it's like who wants who would ever want to be called a punk? Right. You know, when first there were punks. Right. But now being punk is a cool thing. And, right. And in the 80s, it was gigantic. I right. Mean, right. You had right. entire cities full of punks. Right. Right. But, but the thing, I guess, in the story that's that's kind of, and I guess going back to Cassandra Nova, she appears on the scene and she looks a lot like Charles Xavier. Mm-hmm. And uh, suddenly it looks like Charles Xavier dies. Uh, suddenly uh, we've got... Uh, there's like three or four different stories going on in this first arc. You've got uh, Cassandra Nova showing up and essentially uh, switching places with uh, Charles Xavier. She takes she occupies his body and puts right. his mind into her body, in which it looks like her body is dead. There's also a new rise of Sentinels that are terrorizing the world. Uh, Genosha, 16 million mutants are wiped out, including presumably Magneto. Magneto. Uh, we've got the X-Men all coming down with the flu at the same time, which later turns out, which I thought was really kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. These yep. m- miniature, minute sentinels that have invaded their bloodstream and is attacking their white blood cells. So it's kind of like a... Uh, Sen- a it's sentinades. That's what I was going to say. It's AIDS for mutants. Mm-hmm. Um, Unlike the legacy virus, which was AIDS for mutants. <laughs> And then you had this whole... Uh, what, you mean like helpers? <laughs> then you had this whole thing that was this battle from the stars where all of a sudden this... Uh, what, what's their race? The Shi'ar. The Shi'ar come down yeah. and say, oh, it's time for us to eradicate all mutants because Charles Xavier See, told us to. What I really like about this is Chris Claremont is a good writer. Chris Claremont is capable of great writing. But once Chris Claremont creates a setting, he likes to keep it relatively static. And there will be points where, oh, look at this. Oh, we oh, we blew this up. And oh, now she's sleeping with Banshee. And oh, but it seems like it's mostly change for the sake of simulating change. Right. What Morrison kept doing with this arc was bringing back things that we knew from X-Men history, like the Shi'ar, uh, like the whole thing in Genosha. Right. Like the concept of a school and then letting them actually run to where they would go. Yeah. Letting them actually run to a conclusion. The whole Shi'ar arc, Shi'ark, if you will, <laughs> is is you look at the Imperial Guard after that in a whole new way. The Imperial Guard has always been basically a legion of superheroes in joke. Mm-hmm. Not here. They are an independent group, and you can look at them and go, wow, this is something that would never happen with the Legion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um... Sorry. I just... No, no, no. I, I, you know, I found... It just... <coughs> I don't find... Uh, there's nothing wrong with these stories, because like uh, like I said, by the time I was, uh, I don't know, five or six issues in, I was into the swing of things, and I know who the characters are, and I know what's going on, and I've, I've read Dark Phoenix Saga, I've read a lot of these other things, so I, I know who the characters are, and I know they're basic stories and what their powers are etc cetera, etc cetera. Did, did you did you really did you really feel a disconnect coming in because no i didn't from because the beginning, as soon as, this you know they didn't have radically to, they didn't have to put a panel on screen that said this is genosha i right. knew that this was genosha being attacked mm-hmm. it wasn't until five panels later or five pages later that they said 16 million mutants have been wiped out on genosha I knew that. I knew who mm. they. Sh- I d- didn't know their names, but I'm familiar with Xavier's love interest with the with the queen, right? With Lalandra. Yes. Even though I may not know their names, I know who these characters are, 
it took me a moment to figure Magistrix out. Magistrix Lilandra Niramani. It took me a moment to figure out Beast's change. I mean, I know who Beast was. I know mm-hmm. who it was. But I don't know, is he like a Doctor Who? And every time he gets injured really bad, he <laughs> flips into this new uh, new, new form? No, they've actually, they had been trying to reinvent Beast for a long time. And it never quite worked. I know that when Chris Claremont came back... They they revamped all their costumes and people hated Beast's new look. He he basically looked like old school Cyclops with like the fully covered like spandex yeah, yeah. head. Yeah. And like these huge red goggles, which I thought was awesome. I was like the only person who liked that costume. Right. Well it was towards the end when they're getting in the big fight, he does put on a pair of red goggles. Mm-hmm. But he's you know, he's a giant cat and yeah. essentially in this one. That's that's a that's a and and he learns to sing and dance. So that he and you know, so that they can he can be in a Disney movie because he's the beast. <laughs> well, you know, there is a, the reference uh, when he and Gene are talking at the beginning. There is that rose that's sitting on mm-hmm. on the table, which I thought was mildly amusing. Uh, then I know who Emma Frost is. You know, she's this telepath or someone that has telepathic abilities. Uh, but in this case, uh, in this case, Emma Frost also, I don't know. She starts to develop diamond powers. Yeah. The, this um and and it had been done before it it introduces <clears throat> excuse me it, it it talks about the concept of secondary mutations which during during various times in the Xbooks um has been a way to power up characters usually it's the kind of thing where i don't know if you uh, remember or have read second genesis um you know cyclops blasts so hard that his powers essentially level up to the point where his old visor can't keep up with it anymore and that's where he first get those gigantic oh yeah yeah uh, yellow visor yeah um so they introduced this uh emma frost's um secondary mutation and i kind of did not like it i mean it, first off it's they gave her diamond heart skin which was penance's deal in generation x mm-hmm. um which uh, is is a book that Emma Frost was in. It you know, there's that connection, um, which which always felt very awkward to me. Um I think uh, Matthew had mentioned to me something about why exactly it was that they gave her that diamond skin. At the time, Joe Quesada had a pretty hard and fast rule against resurrections at Marvel. And when Morrison pitched the series uh, reportedly, he wanted to use Colossus. Colossus, of course, had just given up his life to save the universe from the legacy virus, whatever that was. And um, they said, no thanks. So he actually created Emma's secondary mutation and actually the concept of the secondary mutation reportedly to get that, that Colossus-like tank character since no one else in the X-Men really fit the bill. Well, according to some of our listeners, his characters, Grant Morrison's characterization of Emma was what everyone, including Joss Whedon, remember most about this run. I just, what do you mean characterization? Are you talking about powers? Because, you know, Emma Frost in this uh, Wolverine movie, I never saw it, but, you know, there's a character that has this diamond hard skin. for like two seconds, though? Yeah. Uh, You know, so maybe that's what they mean by remembering it. But her characterization here, there's not, she doesn't have a lot of speaking roles. She shows up as a teacher. She's taking a certain group of students, the cuckoo, uh, the, the, Stepford, the cuckoos. Stepford cuckoos, under her wing and trying to teach them some stuff. But I, is there something drastic about her characterization in this, Matthew? That's beyond the the frigid, the frigid seductress. Well, you have to understand that as the first portion of an ongoing story, 
this isn't really the best part of the book. Ah. This is to put it in movie to put it in movie terms. If we look at his whole run from 114 to 154, this is basically that first 20 minutes of the film where we have the initial thing. You have some complications. This is basically the first act, right? At the point where you know things are happening. But yes, they. She has. Really, honestly, Emma was always just kind of a faceless, vaguely European villain. She has a very arch tone here that we may take for granted now several years later because, well, obviously, six or eight years later, it's become her regular characterization. Mm-hmm. But the whole sarcastic tone, the whole darling, I'm better than you thing, that was essentially new. And it was kind of and still is kind of unusual to have a quote unquote superheroic character openly being that much of a bastard anywhere outside of a Grant Morrison title. Uh, okay. Well, I may have to read some more onto this to see see what happens next. I, I just, really think you should. I, I think the part of the problem that I had with this book was, as I said, it seemed like there's four different stories all going on at the same time, and even in the battle, when the battle comes to the Xavier School, it seems like we're stepping right into a scene without really kind of knowing what's going on, so it's this jarring kind of jolt. So we meet this character, Angel, who's a new mutant that uh, mm-hmm. is right. evolved. A new mutant title of the book. Everybody clap. No, no, no. Uh, new we, Mutants is a different team. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, she's, a, she's a new mutant. And um, apparently when she goes to the school, it's not really spelled out. But the uh, Stepford Cuckoos just don't like her. And it's not, really, it's not really said. Yet at the time when the six of them have to work together, they're like, oh, well, we hated you before, but you're our friend now if you do this. And it just Isn't seemed that really, how teenagers behave, though? I know, but it just it wasn't spelled out that mm-hmm. way. That the, the the dynamic at the school really develops into clicks. There's a there's a panel or two where you see some kids laughing, and you start to see some of the good looking mutants making fun of the not so good looking mutants. Mm-hmm. And that's really the only establishment that you have that people don't get along inside the school. Um, and so I found that kind of abrupt in places and. You know, Morrison has done this in uh, the Batman book as well, where he said, I'm just going to throw you in. And that's that's the way it would be if you were really jumping between this. Not not Batman, but in Final Crisis, Mm -hmm. where you're just kind of thrown in and you are expected to figure out what's going on. Uh, For the most part, I really didn't have a problem with the way that the story unfolded, except for those little jarring moments and the fact that there were four stories going on that all, you know, resolved Mm -hmm. themselves by the end of this this trade. Um. I don't know. I, I liked it. Yeah. To borrow a phrase. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hate it. Uh, there As was X-Men a there was a, stories go. Uh, yeah. It's probably one of my favorite X Men stories in that it really is more of an adult take on it. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the White Queen coming in and becoming a teacher at the school kind of smacks of you know, real life where you have a jackass who yells at you because your IR is 99.62%. Round it up to 100. But that's the point. They don't and they won't. In adult life, if you have someone who angers you, you don't have an arch enemy. You have someone that you have to deal with. If I have, let's say I go to work and one of my fellow managers is a huge pain in the butt. I have to find a way to either interact with that manager or not interact with that manager Either way, I'm going out of my way to either fix the problem or ignore the problem. So bringing Emma in and, and going, okay, she used to be our enemy, but 
the simplest way to deal in real grown-up life with someone that you would consider a quote-unquote enemy is to try and make them an ally. Mm-hmm. To try and you know let them see, look, this is what I'm going to do. This has nothing to do with you. It's not about you. I'm not attacking you. And if that works, then you can actually you know interface with that person on an adult level. Yeah, because I like the to... way that Professor X actually starts thinking globally. Who's he starts thinking like a leader? Maybe not the best leader, or right. but the he leader. at least makes decisions that a grown up would make. And not, I'm going to fight. Here's how I'm going to defeat all sorts of prejudice. I'm going to put five kids in yellow tights and let them punch it in the face. Mm -hmm. Well, I do like how, after technically he's gone from the story, how he telepathically is is conversing with Gene and says, bring the media and show them what we're all about. And Mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, once we get the media on our side and we get the aliens on our side, then everyone will see that. Uh, we're not bad, that maybe people should, the human race maybe should look at us as protectors and heroes and and we can all get along kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, I thought the story was good. The art, I have a lot of problems with. Oh, yeah. Uh, the art is so problematic because Van, Van Skyver is a wonderful artist. Yeah, I like his and work. Quietly is a wonderful artist. He's okay. I like his Quite stuff, too. Quite Van Skyver's art is completely different. So going from, if you go from, you know, Frank to Ethan, it's this huge moment of, holy crap, that was an interesting transition. Well, if you want an even more interesting transition, you go from uh, Quietly or from um, uh, Van Skyver, and you go right into Igor Cordy. Oi. Sucks. I'm sorry. Let me, let me say Igor Cordy doesn't is... suck. It's a different type of art. Ugh, but... I hated it. Uh, this one, this one didn't bother me as much. Well, look there's at like there's a one. picture of where he's drawing Wolverine, and it just looks like this guy with this face mm, that's gone through hasn't yeah, even I think, fought yet. But yeah, it's think... just it just totally turned me off. Now a lot of people were like going, "Oh, well, this." Uh, no, I shouldn't say a lot of people. Some of the people up on the forums and the website uh, were just going on and on and on about how great the Grant Morrison uh, quietly uh, team up was in this in this book in this run. But again, the book we're reviewing is not a Frank Morrison quietly team up. No, it is a quietly every three or four issues. Well, and arguably Van Skyver and and Cordy in in the rest. Arguably, it could be because I think quietly had a a, a hand in developing the new costumes which, and the new design of the characters. Which again, when did this this book came out? Like two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand one, I believe. And yep. when did the first X Men movie come out? 1990... 2000. 2000? Yeah, 2000. So the question is, did the artist... Was he influenced by the movie? Or oh. did the movie was influenced by the artist? Oh, he was absolutely influenced by the movie. This, yeah. This, this... I don't think it was like, oh, God, the movie just went through the roof. Let's make the X... It wasn't necessarily, let's make the X-Men like the movie X-Men. But right. they were like, okay, well, we're rebranding the X-Men... Let's give them cool leather jackets because that, you know, people seem to like it. I, I like that let's, look. Let's to be play honest, with I that like corporate that. synergy a little bit and see what we can do. I, I like the costumes. Don't get me wrong. I like all the costumes, uh, Emma Frost included. I like the uh, all of the outfits that that the characters are wearing, even Zorn. Does uh, your copy of the book collect the covers? Yes, it does. Look at the cover to issue 116. Okay. I remember when this came out, and there was a huge geflibity 
a Gishmoigidi and perhaps even a Gugis about this issue when it came out because it's a Frank Quitely cover mm-hmm. of Emma Frost in her new costume. Yeah. And Emma Frost in her new costume. Um, I, I, I'm trying to find a way to put this that isn't inappropriate. I'm going to have to go. The X, the X is her skin. The Well, that's not the part that's fascinating. What's interesting to me is that Marvel put this book out in essentially an all-ages title where uh, – I'm not sure if you're familiar with the phrase moose knuckle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or uh, yeah. some camel, people camel will toe. use the phrase camel toe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to walk away from it there. But when that book came out, I remember looking at that, and it's so spectacularly – unusual in your face but it, it, there isn't a sexuality to it because it well there is but that's not a sexy cover no it's kind it's kind of gross but quietly's work sexuality is really not is sexy there. well and i think we talked about this when um i think when we were talking about batman and robin and and other stuff quietly kind of flips and flops back and forth for me sometimes i think it's okay other times i'm just like you know it's not my it's not my style, and I think it's because he tries to draw a lot of wrinkles and folds and skin his, tones in his characters, and that one is thing about, not what I'm used to. One thing about his work that that worked really well for this is that his work is kind of uncomfortable. Like, I look yes. at it, and I'm like, am I not sitting properly? <laughs> um, there's a, there's, there's and, a, an, an aspect of Quietly's art that just makes you kind of go, ew. Yeah. yeah. And, and and with all really the stuff worked. that was going on in this book, yeah, it it really because it's like you know Angel, the the new Angel is not all that comfortable a character. Yeah, the She's beak is horrible. horrendous. Yeah, all these ugly mutants that are walking around in the background, they are yeah. supposed to look like that. And the people and- that are beautiful, that are perfect, kind of reflect that weird mutant yeah. ugliness. And. Something else that you have to look at when you look at these issues, if you look at those covers and you look at the trade dress, it was completely atypical of everything that Marvel was doing. Mm-hmm. For one thing, I, the cover is a palindrome. It, it's the same upside down as it is right side up. Yep. New X-Men, which oh, I yeah, thought yeah, was yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love and that. And they, they really shunted like that. all of the issue information off to the side and kind of, you know, a uh, Almost like a little feed as though you were watching CNN. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, the books looked different on the stands. And it really felt like they were trying to do something new and unique and, and unusual that you weren't just going to – it wasn't your average book. And even though it was an X-Men title, you still had to look at it and go, well, this is this is not normal. And that this really worked. New. What did you think of the ending? The whole uh, let's take Xavier's mind and use a Cerebra and throw it out across the entire world, and then when uh, when Nova connects, she's going to get her stuff handed oh, to her. Super and, feedback. Yeah, and then uh, Charles Xavier walks out of the chamber. It 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 had unfortunate timing for me. Why was that? Cassandra Nova was revealed to be essentially kind of. Uh, an evil thing masquerading or hanging around in Charles Xavier's mind. Well, no, just some evil at, spirit that apparently attacks all children before they're born or something. Along at the lines. time, the last X-Men story that I actually read was the Onslaught saga, uh, 
Mm -hmm. during which all the evil in Professor Xavier's brain became a separate entity called Onslaught. Right. And it felt very familiar that, oh, look, the villain is an evil entity from inside of Professor Xavier's brain. It really makes me ask the inevitable question, if he's the world's most powerful telepath, why doesn't he have any shields against this crap? Because that's like the ninth creature that's used his brain to take over the world. And, of course, the 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 ninth time this has happened and approximately the twelfth time that after the end of the arc or at the beginning of the arc, he can walk again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, he can't. <laughs> I don't Whoa! know. I haven't, I haven't read the oh, second. Yes, I haven't read the second. Uh, the second volume of this. Well, this by, is the, by the end volume. of the second volume, he's probably not able to walk anymore. Because okay. I remember the arc, and yeah, that but goes away. This is some highly charged storytelling, and I thought there was for some better or for worse, hmm? for better or for worse, it's not the stories that we've learned to expect. The insular, let's all go fight strife, or you know, who's going to team up with whom, or wait, what are we going to do? Let's all uh, team up. And it uh, turns out, wait, we, now we've got Wolverine. Yeah. You know, uh, the X-Men stories had largely become about variations on a theme, even at the point where it was like, whoa, wow, you know, the 54th time we see a cover that says, welcome to the X-Men, blank, hope you survive. This was a real sea change in the way X-Men was perceived to me because X-Men... At the time that I stopped reading it, right about the time of the Mutant Massacre in 1988, um, I just kind of went, you know, I'm done with this. There's, there's nothing here for me anymore. And this was one of the few times ever since that the book actually struck me as something, wait a minute, maybe I need to get back and figure out what's going on here. Yeah. Even when it was Igor Cordy, hello, my name is Igor. You gave me an abnormal brain? Anyway. I, I was just flipping through, and maybe it's just because of all the uh, uh, the news surrounding the death of Michael Jackson. In that page, is that Michael Jackson walking there in the background? Uh, the character in red looks like he's got a mask <laughs> over his face and a black hat. Probably, maybe that That's would have been about weird. the time that Michael Jackson was seen, you know, walking around with his with his mask and everything. With his little ninja mask, yeah, yeah. So that I and of that course, there's the this does contain issue one eighteen, which has the whole Silent is it issue? or isn't it? subliminal message thing oh yeah the sex in the clouds yeah i don't know if you guys ever read the the whole wizard thing but there's like yeah i think they identified 15 or 16 different instances where the letters sex appear in the book and there's a scene in the story and i can't remember which telepath did it right offhand where one of the telepaths you know goes up against a crowd of people and just clicks the button in their brain that sets off their pleasure sensors. It's a very, you know, it's uh, probably, I would Emma. say adult because it's about as adult as an issue of heavy metal where it's all, you know, wing chicks with their boobies hanging out. But yeah. it's a, an unusual take on sexual themes and an unusual take on some things that maybe you don't normally see in an X-Men comic. Is that also the one that introduces the character sublime? Yes. Mr. Sublime in the Can issue filled say... with subliminal messages. Can I just say that mm. I don't cry when my dog runs away and I don't get angry at the bills I have to pay? Do you really get angry when your mom smokes pot? Nope. Okay, so um, bottom line, give me some slices of meatloaf on this on this uh, arc. I'll give it four. 
I definitely think that it did what it set out to do. It was going to revitalize the X-Men. It was going to change the status quo. And unlike most comics that say they're going to do that, it actually did it. I'm going to give it three and a half, Mm -hmm. just because the art was all over the place in my mind. Uh, Storytelling was fine. Didn't mind that at all. And I know there's some people going to say, how could you give this three and a half slices? Well, that's what I'm giving it. I will Life say that sucks. I... Good helmet. Yeah, I will say that your mileage will may vary, and I probably will pick up this second trade to read it. So mm-hmm. that's a plus right there. Matthew. Had this collection gone three more issues, it would have gotten, to my knowledge, the first perfect five rating that I've ever given a trade paperback. Really? Yes, because it would have gotten then to the introduction of Phantom X, which is, to me, to my mind, the real defining moment where this series goes from, okay, here's some guy doing all new, all different X-Men, and actually doing all new, all different X-Men. It goes from being self-aware to being, holy crap, this is awesome. Incidentally, by the way, if this uh, trade had gone two more issues... Um, into the introduction of Phantom X, it would have gotten probably two slices of meatloaf for me because I hate Phantom X. <laughs> <laughs> so that's and, you just know, because you're familiar with the character they stole him from, yeah. and, and you know the the opinions vary greatly here and on the on the message board up at MajorSpoilers.com, where you have some people just saying, "Oh, Grant Morrison is God. This is the greatest thing ever. I want Grant Morrison to write X Men forever, not X Men forever, but right. X Men and, and not the new mutants in all times." Yes. Yeah, and then you've got some people that say, this is what caused me to hate the X-Men. This is mm-hmm. what caused me to leave the series. So I think uh, your mileage may vary. I say it's worth giving it a, giving it a shot. So. I agree. All right, I I've, feel oops. like your love of this series is directly inversely proportional to your love of X-Men as a concept. Mm. If you like the X-Men, if you kind of like the X-Men, if you remember a day when you used to like the X-Men, you'll probably like this title. If you really love the X-Men, you will probably hate this. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you, listeners, for listening to us. I know we went a little longer this time, but we veered off track a few times here and there. But, you know, what do you expect? Uh, That wraps it up for this week's show. I tell you what, we've got a couple of things going on. On Saturday... Notice that we didn't talk about Transformers 2, Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) But I tell you what, if you tune in on Saturday, you will get our uh, uncensored opinions about uh, the Transformers movie and what went wrong and what went right and whether we liked it or whether we hated it. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to tune in to find out. Well, actually, I should say you're going to have to download to find out. Then after that, something we've been plugging and talking about for a long, long time. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, wait, no. That's the, that's the previous one. Those pills are killer, but so is geometry. <laughs> we have our first installment of the major spoilers, Dungeons & Dragons Crawl. Mm-hmm. We're going to go from me building a character. And again, this is me first time playing Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, Matthew, Rodrigo, and somebody we are now naming Dungeons & Dragons, D&D Brian, mm-hmm. uh, who've all been playing Dungeons & Dragons for a long time. Um, we all go in through a crawl. So you'll see me build a character, go through my first adventure, go out in, in a major quest and hook up with some other characters, and perhaps uh, save the universe, maybe eventually. Uh, That will run because next week is the Major Spoilers' third birthday celebration. (laughs) That is going to run. We've got episodes that will run every day, Monday through Friday. So if you're looking for a regular show, we won't have that next week. 
But we'll be back the week after that because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's Ray Vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009